Volume 1, The Inventor Chapter 4, The Fire The date is March 4, 1910, at 4.25 p.m. Scribe and I silently walked toward the east. We contradicted the police's implied instruction to go west to the train station. We both understand that the investigation is not over for us. We need to uncover the whole truth. I am required to follow the first tenet with which I am endowed. I recall the last conversation Scribe and I had this morning on the train. Anna's conviction could lead to the downfall of Ishmael's reputation. Ishmael is the only major political force fighting for the belief that autos are alive and equal to humans. His absence could lead to the loss of that belief and thus a civil war between the extremes of the Republic of Veritas and Otto Cisato. This potential future is unpleasant for me to consider. It occurs to me that Tom's conviction would avoid this issue. I wonder if another human put in our position would let Tom be falsely convicted for the sake of a greater good that some humans believe in. Scribe and I are unable to think in this way. We must seek and share the truth at all costs. Madam Buxley and Bob continue to follow us a few paces behind. We explained the situation to Madam Buxley when she asked about our conversation with Officer Estorga. How intriguing! Rogue investigators! was her only response after the story. She and Bob followed us out of the house without further explanation. We had no reason to stop them. Cyric, what do we know about Isaac's tattoo? Scribe breaks the silence with the question. They have pulled out the photograph of the body as we walk. I am unsure why they are asking this particular question right now. I recall what I know as I look at the black tattoo in the photograph. Isaac Ellison received this tattoo after founding Otto Sees Otto 35 years ago. All members of the group are branded with this insignia somewhere on their body. Isaac's is on display on his right arm in this photograph. Does anything about it strike you as... odd? Nothing about it strikes me as odd. It is exactly where it is supposed to be. It would strike me as odd if it were not there. That would be odd. But tell me, Cyric, what happens to a tattoo after 35 years? I recall the posters of Isaac Ellison I had seen at the train station. A tattoo fades after 35 years. And yet, Isaac's tattoo is clearly quite dark in this photograph. What does it mean? I ruminate on the revelation for a minute. I'm unsure what to make of this, I admit. My dear Cyric, the photographs of Isaac we've seen before show a tattoo that is decades old. This tattoo is fresh. A fresh tattoo? I repeat. Was it reapplied? Perhaps. A fresh tattoo right before being murdered like this hardly strikes me as coincidence. What does that tell us, Cyric? If the new tattoo is not a coincidence, then Isaac must have known something important would happen. I don't understand what he thought was supposed to happen. I also don't understand why it was necessary to have a new tattoo for it. I look at Scribe. What does this mean? Scribe is silent as they put the photo away in their bag. 
I believe the significance of this fact will reveal itself in due course, Sirik. With incomplete evidence, our guesses at this point will merely be conjecture. The truth will find its way, as it always does. Tom sits on the side of the bed in his cell. He stares blankly at the wall. He doesn't flinch when we enter the room. He doesn't acknowledge us as we sit down. Your position in this mystery appears to be much more involved than I initially thought. Scribe comments. Tom's gaze remains unmoving on the wall. I would like to hear your story, if you would do me the honor. Tom scoffs. What's it to you? Anna'll be set free. I did it. What do you need from me? He gestures toward Madame Buxley. And who is this lady? Scribe ignores the last question and responds before the madam can. I am not a police officer. I am an investigative journalist. I am only interested in spreading the truth. And I believe the truth is, you did not commit the crime you have been arrested for. Tom's gaze leaves the wall to glare at Scribe. What? Do you think I'm stupid? I said I did it. I don't need you to save me. Scribe smiles. Maybe you do not. In that case, what do you have to lose by telling me your story? You seem to be unoccupied. Seeing as you are already in jail for a murder you confessed to, I fail to imagine how things could get worse for you. Tom chuckles without smiling. All right, you win. As long as Anna's safe, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. It all began two days ago. I was working at the store while my mother was out running errands. It was a slow day. Every day's a slow day at the store, you know. A tall person in a big cloak entered the store. They must have been seven feet tall. I couldn't see their face very well, but they had the palest skin I'd ever seen. They walked right up to me at the register and said this. I can see your family's store isn't doing very well. Can I interest you in a job to help your poor mother make ends meet? Sure, I said. I never look a gift horse in the mouth, you know. What do you need? I asked. It could be dangerous, and the job's illegal, they replied. Will that be a problem? Now, I'll admit that I've picked a pocket or two in my time. I'm not a monster, you know. I'll only take chump change from the wealthy snobs in this city who don't need the money. They don't deserve the money either, if you ask me. So I was still interested in the job and asked for more details. The stranger said this. The word on the street is you're good friends with Anna Ellison. You've heard about the Ellison revolver they keep in the house. Maybe you've even seen it. If I could get my hands on that prototype... I could sell it for a fortune that I'd happily share with you. Your family'd never need to work another day. What do you think? This is where I get a funny feeling. All the stealing folks I know in St. Macrina never steal from Mr. Allison. Most of his money goes into the college, and the college gives away autos to help all us poor folks who need it. He gives jobs to older folks and scholarships to younger folks. He's a fine guy that even we delinquents have respect for, you know? But really, I'd never do something that hurt Anna. We've been friends since I was just a little kid. She's like family to me. But if I turned down the job, I was scared of what the giant would do to me and my family. And who knows what they would do to the Ellisons without my intervention, you know? So I made a plan to be a double agent. 
I agreed to help the stranger, and I asked them to meet me around midnight the next night, once the store was closed. I knew Anna'd be at some party, and Mr. Ellison was out of town, so she'd never know a thing. Next morning, I went to the Ellison house to hang out with Anna, like I usually do. I knew where they kept the gun, but I didn't know the combination to the safe. So I asked Anna if I could see it and try shooting it. I needed to spy on her opening the safe, and I needed to practice shooting the gun for the last part of my plan, you know? Once I saw the combination and gotten my practice shots, I gave the gun back, and we went on our own ways. That night, the stranger did what I said and met me at the house. We let ourselves in, since no one was home. I opened the safe to get the gun. That's when I did the last part of my plan. As fast as I could, I turned around and shot the stranger right in the heart, just like I practiced. They went down in a second. I don't feel bad for what I did. I can sleep at night knowing someone who'd hurt the Ellisons is gone, you know? The last thing I had to do was take care of the body. I grabbed the bag and shovel I'd brought. I put the gun back in the safe and closed it, and I put the body in the bag to carry it away. Boy, that stranger was heavier than I thought they'd be. The best I could do was drag the body around the house and into the woods. I couldn't get as far as I wanted before I couldn't drag the body anymore. I thought nobody'd miss the crook, so I dug a quick grave there in the woods and buried the body. I thought that'd be the last of it, you know? You bet I was shocked this morning when I learned Anna'd been arrested. That's the last thing I ever wanted to happen. I never thought anybody'd find the body, let alone pin the murder on her. I still don't know how they found the body. Nobody's told me anything. When you saw me before, I was trying to find a way to break Anna out of here. I didn't tell you the story then because I thought you were with the police, and I thought Astorga'd try to find a way to blame Anna as an accomplice. He'd find a way to throw a baby in jail if he could. Once the police caught me digging around Anna's cell, I knew there was no use hiding it. Telling them I did it was the next best way to save Anna, you know? I only hope my story will show she's innocent and Astorga will let her go. That's the whole thing. The police haven't even asked for my story. I guess they don't care since I said I'm guilty. Scribe writes down the story in their journal for a few minutes before looking up. Madame Buxley scribbles in her own journal furiously as well. A human might forget she was there. She is being uncharacteristically quiet. May I ask you some questions? Scribe asks. Sure. Tom responds as he resumes staring at the wall. Was the gun full when you retrieved it from the safe last night? And did you shoot only once? Yeah, it was full. I only needed one shot last night. I wish I'd thought to reload it after that, but I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could, you know? I see. Were you aware that Anna was not at that party, but was asleep in the Ellison house? Tom's spine immediately straightens as he turns toward Scribe. That can't be right. I didn't see her at all. I know she'll sleep through just about anything, but there's no way she slept through a gunshot. I'd have changed my plan if I knew she was there, you know? I got no reason to lie about that. He slumps back against the wall. Why wouldn't she have come down? He asks mostly to himself. Scribe examines the boy's face for a moment before continuing. Has anybody told you who the victim is, Tom? I don't need to be told. 
I shot somebody and Anna didn't. Scribe fumbles in their bag for a moment and draws out a photograph I haven't seen in a long time. Is this who you shot? Tom snatches the photograph and looks it over. That's it. Did the police give you this so you could rub it in my face? No. This photograph is from my own research. The person in this photograph was not the victim of the crime we are investigating. As I suspected, you are innocent of the crime for which you have been arrested. Tom shoots up from the bed and begins pacing as he looks at the photograph. You can't be serious. I know I shot this person, you know. Who's the victim you're investigating? Scribe pulls the photograph of the body out of their bag. They show it to Tom. This is the victim. Tom's eyes widen as he looks at the image of Isaac's body. That looks just like Mr. Ellison. But Mr. Ellison doesn't have a tattoo or clothes like that. He looks up at Scribe. Is that Isaac Ellison? Yes. This case is for the murder of Isaac Ellison. You are innocent. No, I'm not! Tom snaps. He holds up the photograph of the pale figure. I shot this person! I'm still a murderer! That person was nowhere to be found, not even in the forest. You are quite innocent of any murder, my friend. Tom's contorted face slowly relaxes. His expression is eventually blank. I don't get what's going on, he admits. Scribe stands up. All you need to know is that both you and Anna will be freed. The police have not found their killer.
break the cycle and be free. Thank you to the featured artist on The Fire, Yesa. Follow at Yesa Music on Instagram and Facebook. That's Y-E-S-A-H Music. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you are listening, and visit autoseasauto.com to find our Facebook, Instagram, and mailing list sign-up. Auto Sees Auto is 100% patron-funded. If you'd like to support the program and receive exclusive merch and downloads for as low as $5 per volume, please visit patreon.com slash autoseasauto. The date is September 21st, 1909 at 3.26pm. I await Ishmael's answer regarding how he handled Rachel's plagiarism. I let her off the hook, and I told her that she only had to tell me if her situation was overwhelming for her. Ishmael responds, You did? Scribe asks rhetorically, How will she understand the consequences a deceitful person should face? There is nothing worse than a liar. I have to disagree with you, Scribe, because Rachel is a well-meaning person who just made a mistake when she was in a bad place, and if I told the truth about what she did, she would only be hurt by it, and nobody at all would be for the better the Republic would lose an intelligent and kind roboticist, and she'd been through enough misery with her mother and her guilt. I knew she would never do it again. That just makes you a liar as well, Scribe comments. Where does it end? When will the truth be discovered? Ishmael chuckles. I expected Cyric would want to follow the rules, but I'm surprised you don't have more compassion or long-term insight, Scribe. Maybe it's just your age or your mindset at this time in your life, but I believe someday you'll learn that there are more important things in life than just the truth. Anna steps out of the house and joins us on the porch. Hi, Papa. Hi, Scribe and Sirik. Papa, you're having a wonderful time, aren't you? Ishmael smiles at Anna. I'm having the most marvelous time, my dearest daughter. The date is March 4th, 1910 at 5.47 p.m. A guard leads us to Anna's cell after our interview with Tom. Scribe, I say with lowered volume. Is it necessary to interview Anna after Tom's testimony? We can already provide some necessary insights to Officer Estorga. Tom's testimony proves that the midnight incident was not the murder of Isaac Ellison. If I can confirm a few details with Anna... I believe I can uncover the whole story and put an end to this investigation. 
We reach our destination before I can inquire further. Anna looks worse than we had last left her. Her limp body appears as though it might collapse at any moment. She still gives us her best smile as we approach. How's your investigation going? She asks. Her eyes widen and her smile grows as she sees Madam Buxley and Bob enter. Madam! Bob! It is so, so good to see you! How are you doing? Madam Buxley smiles in a way I haven't seen yet. The corners of her eyes crinkle together like tissue paper. I'm doing just fine, my dear. I'm accompanying these two comrades to ensure their investigation prevails. You said earlier that you wanted to accompany us to observe our behaviors for your writing, I interject. What is the truth? The madam's smile fades as she turns toward me. There can exist two truths simultaneously in one's motivation, Cyric. It is the truth that I was curious of your deductive methods for the sake of my creative processes. But it is also the truth that I would never forgive myself if you two were thwarted on your assignment and I had made no intervention for Anna's welfare. Anna beams at all of us. I'm so very lucky to have so many wonderful friends. I hope none of this is causing very much trouble for you all. Scribe smiles. Nothing would stop us from saving you. We are close to the end, Anna, but I have a few more questions I must ask you. Are you aware that Tom Dwyer has been arrested as another suspect in this case? Anna shoots out of her chair and grips the bars of her cell. Not Tom! He would never, ever hurt another person like that. You don't really believe he did it, do you? Scribe shakes their head. We have just spoken with him. I believe he is innocent. But he was involved in a different incident at the Ellison residence. Scribe briefly summarizes the events Tom recounted. Now that we know Tom's story, please, be absolutely honest with us. Did you hide your knowledge of these events? Were you awoken in the altercation? Anna looks firmly at Scribe and shakes her head. I really don't remember any of that at all. I only want Tom and me to get out of this safely. There's really no reason I would hide anything at all from you, because I know we are both innocent. I really don't understand how, but I must have slept through all of that. What I said before is true. The first thing I remember after falling asleep is being taken by the police. Scribe meets her gaze and pauses for a moment. I believe you. They scribble something in their journal before continuing. When was the last time you saw your father? The last time I saw Papa was three days ago, before he left for his trip to Aurora. He still has not visited you here? She looks at the ground. No. I guess he must still be very busy with the investigation, but I miss him dearly. He has me worried sick. You did not see him when he came home, before you were apprehended? No. I was very tired and confused. And everything happened so quickly. But I'm sure I didn't see him. I thought he was talking to the police somewhere, trying to clear things up. Scribe records her testimony in their journal. They consult their notes for a moment before continuing. I have one more question for you, Anna. Can you explain this photograph to me? Scribe hands her the photograph found on the body. 
She smiles as she looks at it. Papa always carries this around. This is Papa and my Mama. The resemblance between me and her is very strong, isn't it? She died before I ever knew her, so I can't really remember her. I catch him looking at this when he thinks I can't see him. He might not even know that I know about it. Papa never really talks about her or this picture. I only know it's my mama Nan because Madam Buxley told me. She says as she turns to Madam Buxley with a slightly wider smile. Madam Buxley returns the smile with the corners of her eyes crinkling once more. Anna looks at Scribe with furrowed eyebrows as she hands it back. Why do you have this? Scribe places the photograph back in their bag as they answer. This was found on the body. Anna's brows furrow further. That's very strange. I don't know what Isaac would be doing with Papa's photograph. Scribe stares at the ground before they jot down some more notes. They look up at Anna with a smile that I believe suggests reassurance. It is our duty to figure that out, Anna. You only need to hang on a little longer. You and Tom will be free before the day is done. I tail Scribe as they walk out of the jail and toward the police station across the street. Madam Buxley and Bob follow a few feet behind us. I am surprised the madam keeps up so easily with Scribe's quick stride. The sun begins to set behind the horizon as Scribe enters the building. They don't pause at the front desk and they ignore the secretary's objections as they walk directly into Astorga's office. Scribe opens the door and proclaims, Gibson, Tom Dwyer is innocent. Astorga looks at Scribe with wide eyes. Didn't I take you off this case? His eyes then narrow. And what the hell is she doing here? He gestures toward Madame Buxley and Bob as they follow us into the room. I am not one of your detectives. I am an investigative journalist. Scribe retorts sternly as they ignore Astorga's second question. I interviewed Tom of my own accord. My findings as of a few minutes ago are enough to let Tom and Anna walk free. Estorga rests his head on his fists. Please, do enlighten me on how somebody who said he was guilty told the story that proves he's innocent, he says in a monotone. Scribe recounts Tom's testimony. Estorga's body grows tense as Scribe speaks. Well, of course the boy's singing a different tune now that he's in jail. He's changing his story to confuse you, Scribe, and clearly it's working. You have nothing but his story to prove my theory is wrong. On the contrary, Scribe replies, I would argue that the evidence will support Tom's story far more than it will support yours. Estorga looks at Scribe. The temples in his forehead are swollen. You're wasting my time. Get out of my office! Watch it, Gibson! It's my case, too! Elda glares at Astorga as she strides into the office. She gives Madame Buxley and Bob a look as she enters. She rolls her eyes and turns back to Astorga. I think Tom's guilty, but if Scribe has another theory, it's our duty as public servants to hear them out. We owe Scribe that with their track record. Astorga slumps in his seat as Elda's glare turns to Scribe. Better be a good theory for you to parade in here like this. I guarantee it is. As a matter of fact, Cyric, why don't you help me? You were built to find the objective truth. 
we will go through the contradictions one by one and determine what the evidence supports. Of course, I respond. I am happy to be of assistance. Who the hell knows what you've done with that machine to make it agree with you? Estorga mutters. Elda smacks him. If you have any disagreements with our arguments as we go, feel free to let me know. Scribe assures him. May we continue? Estorga shrugs. Fine. Go on. Scribe nods. Estorga, you claim that Tom's shot was outside. Tom claims it was inside. How can we find the truth, Cyric? If the shot had been outside, then it would have been loud enough for Madame Buxley to hear it. The shot must have been inside for it to be quiet enough to go unnoticed by the party. That's exactly what I thought, Cyric. Excellent work. Now hold on, Estorga interrupts. What about the bullet we found outside? How the hell did Tom's other shot end up out there without breaking any windows? An excellent question, officer. That brings us to our next question. How many bullets did Tom shoot? What do you think, Cyric? He must have shot one bullet. He is known to be one of the best marksmen in town. He was able to practice with the prototype the same morning. If a shot had missed inside, then it would surely have broken something as Officer Estorga suggested. A human might have seen two flashes as one. Bob would have seen two flashes if there were two shots. That's right, Cyric. So then, now that we understand the body was shot inside, it stands to reason that the drag marks lead from the inside to the outside, as Tom dragged the body outside. That only makes it more confusing, Estorga retorts. How the hell do you explain the grave being empty if that's where Tom buried the body? Sure, the shot could have been inside. In that case, Isaac must have hidden in the ditch, then walked into the house where he was shot by Tom. Then, Tom could have left the body there and dragged some heavy valuables from the house, leaving drag marks. Maybe he left a bullet in the forest as some weird calling card. Scribe turns to me. What do you think, Cyric? That theory is impossible. Nothing else is missing from the house. The second bullet was definitely fired from a gun. Fine, Estorga admits as he shakes his head and waves his hands. Forget the bullet and drag marks and everything else. How the hell can you be so sure that Tom's victim wasn't Isaac Ellison? I consider the evidence for a moment before I reply. We know for a fact that Tom dragged something heavy from the inside to the outside and buried it after the shot. The shot being inside, Bob's testimony, the drag marks, the grave, and Tom's knowledge of the grave are proof corroborating his story. The only thing Tom could have dragged and buried there that was heavy enough to leave drag marks would be the body he shot. The body that was buried there must have gotten dirty. Isaac can't have ever been in the ditch because there were no traces of dirt on his body. Estorga leans forward and taps on his desk. Fine, let's say Tom did shoot somebody else and bury them. I guess somebody dug up the body, maybe a friend of the victim. Tom Dwyer is still a murderer who has to be punished for his crime. That is not the case, Scribe contradicts. Cyric, think back to Tom's testimony. When he described the aftermath of his shot, what detail did he leave out? 
I think back to what Tom said. He described the body falling to the ground, putting it in a bag, dragging it as far as he could given its weight, and then burying it. I'm not sure what's missing. Scribe smiles. I suppose this is one of the few things you would have more trouble with than the average human. What happens to a human when they are shot? I understand. A human bleeds when shot. Tom failed to mention cleaning any blood. That's right, Cyric. The boy had never shot a body before. The lack of experience and the shock of shooting somebody for the first time clouded his reason. He failed to realize that the lack of blood was strange. Astorga snorts. The boy could have just forgotten to clean the blood, or forgotten to mention it in his story. That's no evidence. Scribe turns to Elda. Do you remember how you found the grave? Elda looks at Scribe with raised eyebrows. We didn't find it. You and Cyric found it. That's right. If Tom had left a trail of blood, you could have found the ditch without Cyric's help. Though it is possible he could have cleaned the blood from the house, there is no way he could have cleaned all the grass, especially with nothing but moonlight to help him. I don't know what the hell you're getting at, Astorga interjects. What kind of person doesn't bleed? An Otto doesn't bleed, I mention. That's exactly right, Scribe continues. Paired with the weight of the body and the evacuation of the grave, this theory becomes undeniable. When Tom shot the Otto, they played dead as part of a larger plan. Once they were buried, they simply got up out of the grave, leaving the bullet behind. Historka's face turns pale. That's ridiculous! No Otto is that big, and no Otto has any resemblance to a human! No Otto you have seen is like that, Historga. But I know for a fact that Isaac Ellison has an Otto exactly like that, named Abba. Tom verified that this Otto was his victim. Scribe pulls out the photograph they showed Tom earlier. They continue to pull out more photographs that show Abba's full figure and automatonic analysis. Abba is an enormous humanoid Otto with a pale coating that resembles skin. Istorga examines the photographs and then glares at Scribe. Fine. Let's assume Tom shot this machine. Who the hell shot Isaac, and when? That still leaves Tom or Anna as potential suspects, if you assume one or both of them is lying. Scribe shakes their head. Tom already turned himself in because he thought he was a murderer. There's no reason for him to lie now. As for Anna, she cannot be the murderer. She is... She's far too inexperienced to operate the Allison revolver. Madame Buxley interrupts Scribe and breaks her silence. Every head in the room turns to her. You constables are required to devote one week to training on the Ellison Revolver. I happen to know from my own research for my productions. A prodigious lad like Tom could master the firearm in a morning. But Anna has never employed any weapon in her entire life. Bob can affirm that there have been no bullets fired anywhere in the vicinity of our locality before yesterday. That is correct. Bob confirms. Can you candidly conceive that Anna could strike Isaac directly in the heart on her inaugural attempt to utilize any armament? With his automatonic legs, he would be an especially nimble and difficult target to hit, even for a seasoned sniper. 
I suppose that is true, madam. Scribe comments slowly with raised eyebrows. But that is not... Officer Storga! Officer Gerst! Scribe is interrupted again by a young officer who runs into the room. We need you two to come to the jail at once. It's about Anna Ellison. Did she finally admit she's responsible for this mess? Astorga asks as he sneers at Scribe. No, sir. She's collapsed and she isn't breathing. We think she's dead. Thank you for listening to Otto Sees Otto. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you are listening, and visit autoseasauto.com to find our Facebook, Instagram, and mailing list sign-up. Otto Sees Otto is 100% patron-funded. If you'd like to support the program and receive exclusive merch and downloads for as low as $5 per volume, please visit patreon.com slash autoseasauto. Thank you to Robin and Glenn Cameron and the rest of our wonderful patrons for making this program possible.